here we are on Step Zero for another episode of the mini-series Coaching with Costas. Costas, welcome to Step Zero again. Thank you so much, Patel. Always a pleasure to speak to you. It's always really good to see you. We, we have agreed to discuss the imposter phenomenon today. And truth being told, it's been quite a challenge for me to think about this one. Um, as I quickly realized, it is a lot more complicated than I thought it was. So where do you suggest we start? What can you tell me about the imposter phenomenon? Thank you, Matteo. Well, first of all, I uh, really appreciate you calling it a phenomenon. Uh, most people have heard the phrase imposter syndrome, uh, which I refuse to use. Uh, so the interesting uh, starting point, perhaps, is the context of how this uh, phrase came about, because I think it's particularly interesting. It was it came about through two female doctors who uh, came across young women at university coming to them concerned that they weren't good enough to do well in their exams. And they wrote a paper called The Imposter Phenomenon in High-Achieving Women. So perhaps unsurprisingly, and we'll come to it, uh, the phrase imposter phenomenon was what was first discovered. Um, I'm not sure how it migrated to syndrome, uh, but imposter phenomenon is what they called it. And they did a study on why it is that many high achieving women felt this sense of insecurity. So the first thing I would say is it's not a syndrome, which sounds like a psychological disorder. Uh, most people have it at some point or other, depending on context or situation uh, or stage of life. But the interesting final comment I'll make as an intro is that women are more likely to admit to it, which I think is an interesting starting point. And in my own coaching practice, it's interesting to me so far that uh, almost all the women I have coached have proactively suggested they have it, uh, whereas almost none of the men I've coached have, and yet the majority of both uh, have come to realize that they feel these thoughts at times. You hear about it a lot, the, the imposter feelings, imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, whichever way you want to call it, is being thrown around a lot recently and, and you hear about it all the time. So it's it feels like you said, most people have it or most people experience it at some point in their lives. Has it been around for that long or has it been around forever or is it only something that happened recently in society? That's such a good question. It must be, must have been around forever because the truth is you only really experience it if you're moving beyond your comfort zone, if you're trying to learn new things, if you're challenging yourself to acquire new skills, if you're putting yourself in a position that you're less comfortable with. I mean, quite frankly, uh, I felt imposter. I had imposter thoughts this morning, Matteo. We're talking about a topic as large as this, and I'm wondering, first of all, am I going to do it justice myself? Am I going to make good use of your time, of our listeners' time? Uh, and am I going to be a, successful in progressing people's thoughts about it in a way that I would like? So it's natural uh, to feel imposter thoughts and have imposter thoughts if you are pushing yourself uh, towards growth. And that's why I think we've called this uh, this episode imposter thoughts or growth mindset, because by definition, in my view, 
if you're seeking personal growth in any area, uh, along that journey, uh, you will feel either a sense of concern that you're not good enough, worry that people may think that you are in a role or in a situation that you're not deserving of, or frankly, just feeling a fear of failure yourself. So if I understand the he should end, and I try to describe this imposter phenomenon myself, and obviously, like you said, I also had similar feelings this morning, but probably on a regular basis. The imposter phenomenon is this somehow belief that your achievements are not deserved, but rather born out of luck or a mistake or, or not necessarily tied to your efforts and your actions. How does this come about? How does this happen? Where does it originate? Again, a, a really good question. Let me do my best to answer it. The short answer is, uh, and I've uh, advised um, one particular person who posted on LinkedIn that uh, she felt imposter uh, phenomenon uh, before making a presentation to a large group. The key answer is that actually it's a symptom of success. Uh, the more successful you are, the more you achieve, the likelier it is that you will feel this sense that those below you, those who are more junior, those who are looking up to you for the answers, um, may discover that you don't have them all, or they're not all as perfect as you hope. So the characteristics of those who have it actually are generally ones with high levels of achievement. The more you achieve, uh, the more likely it is that you will feel them. So I uh, made the observation to this particular person a few months ago, and I, I got some really interesting feedback online, that you should own your imposter phenomenon as a sign of your success. If you sat on a couch and did nothing, if you did not seek new job opportunities, promotions, new relationships, new skills, the chances of feeling imposter thoughts, in my judgment, are lower. So it is born of a natural, I think, tendency for self-growth and self-improvement. But there are some factors that may exacerbate it. Not everybody has them. Some people are perfectly secure at all times. I think Based on my experience thus far, they're in the minority. But broadly speaking, uh, most of us, uh, the human instinct, right, is self-improvement. And along that journey, uh, you will feel inadequate at times or concerned at times that uh, you won't achieve uh, the things you aim to achieve. I'll pause for a moment, but there are some psychological uh, uh, studies that suggest it may be born of child roles or family dynamics. Child roles meaning if you were the smart one growing up in the family, if you were the hardworking one growing up in the family, you have this early stage expectation of high achievement, of survivorship, of delivery. And that burden of responsibility may, may contribute to a sense of 
having to be perfect throughout your adult life. So that's one sort of group of thoughts around child roles. One of the examples I'll give, and then I'll pause for your observations, uh, Matteo, is this interesting concept of praising children. And, uh, and the interesting dynamic is actually too much or too little praise can be the source of imposter thoughts in later life. Why is that? If you are always told as a child, you are amazing, and some cultures do it more than others, some families do it more than others, and you enter the real world where people challenge you or undermine you or think you're less than perfect, it kind of disorientates you and it makes you feel that you cannot achieve that which you understood to be the case as a child, receiving constant perfection and praise commentary from your parents. If you are not praised enough as a child, you'll constantly feel inadequate that you cannot achieve the things that others get achieved because you haven't been given the self-confidence to believe that through your actions, you will achieve success that you deserve, that is not fortunate or lucky or coincidental. So again, I'm a coach. I focus on behavioral change. I'm not a therapist or a counselor. Those are important clinical areas and they tend to spend time on trying to understand the source of these things. But hopefully that gives you a flavor of where does it come from? The first point I make, success, natural driver of the human instinct to grow. But child roles uh, and family dynamics may also be contributive elements from a psychological perspective. Thank you, Costas. There is one aspect when discussing this imposter phenomenon that I'm still struggling with. And I would love to unpack that with you, if that's okay. It feels like there is a thin line between imposter feelings and lack of self-confidence. And sometimes they overlap, sometimes they're very distinct areas, so to speak. Is it correct to say that imposter feelings raise when tied to a specific success or achievement, while self-confidence seems to be more tied to your persona rather than a specific success. So I, in, in a nutshell, I need to be successful at something. I need to have achieved something in order to feel like a fraud. Does that make sense? Would this Would this help me somehow draw a distinction, draw a line between the imposter feeling and the lack of self-confidence, or are these two concepts inevitably tied to each other? What a, what a good question. Uh, I was struggling to unpack it myself because it's so complex in my view. Self-confidence, I think, is a general high-level state of affairs. As a coach, I think that goals need to be more specific in order for people to improve uh, and progress. And that's why I think imposter thoughts as a framework is a much more useful term of reference in order to address specific things that cause you to have imposter thoughts, which I believe over time will build your self-confidence. So self-confidence is a large high-level topic. If somebody 
were to ask me to coach them to be more self-confident, that as a high-level thought is obviously an important one, but it's the specifics of situations, of people, of relationships, of challenges that cause you to have imposter thoughts, which are driven by a number of things, but underlyingly uh, a lack of confidence in, in potential growth, right? Which will allow you, if you progress, to further your own self-confidence. So let me perhaps give you an example. If you're in a specific situation, like the one we're in today, discussing imposter thoughts, you may be concerned that you won't have any good answers. You may be concerned that the answers you give are not well-received. You may be concerned that as a result of those answers, Matteo will not ask me to do episode three. You may be concerned that um, the feedback is terrible. These are all what imposter thought or imposter phenomenon practitioners called, uh, they label them ants, automatic negative thoughts. So something about the situation triggers you into believing various things. One is called mind reading. Matteo will think I'm not a competent coach. Fortune telling. I don't believe that we'll get to episode three. Catastrophizing. Yeah, it'll go terribly and no one will listen. A whole series of categories of automatic negative thoughts are ones you experience in specific situations if you are broadly having imposter thoughts, okay? And I think it's important to be able to label them and to learn how to label them in the moment. And once you can label them in the moment, you can come up with strategies for uh, undermining them and correcting them and behaving in a way that is more constructive rather than destructive. So I've done my best to give a shortish answer to a very complicated question, but uh, self-confidence is a generality. Imposter thoughts, to your point, are driven by specific situations or people or dynamics. And being able to understand what automatic negative thoughts you're having in those situations is step one to making progress towards broader self-confidence over time, but addressing imposter thoughts in the meantime. That is actually very helpful. Thank you, Costas. And if I understand correctly, then we're not necessarily doomed to a life of self-doubt. There is something we can do to address the imposter phenomenon. There is something we can do to address these negative thoughts that somehow pop automatically in our heads. And you mentioned labeling, so correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you want to face these thoughts and obviously not suppress them. You want to you want to almost engage with them and and put them out there. What's next? Is there is there a framework that we can rely on? Is there a specific process that we believe helps with the imposter phenomenon? Yes, I think there is. But before diving into that, let me just reference back to uh, episode one. The most important uh, area that supports our self-growth and our self-confidence is our access to good mentors, coaches, friends, 
relationships. So again, let's just put everything in context. Otherwise, it sounds very uh, prescription-focused. What framework addresses this topic? The truth in life is we need, whether it's the wheel of life, dealing with all aspects of our life, whether it's sense of purpose, to have a network of support and a focus on the things that matter to us to ensure that we have the strength and the focus, right, to address the challenges we all feel. Um, so I don't want to be too prescriptive straight away, uh, Matteo. But the interesting development recently in coaching is the cognitive behavioral therapy framework, uh, which some of our listeners may have heard of. And it's a cognitive behavioral therapy is obviously a discipline within counseling and therapy. But over the recent, uh, I think, months and one or two years, uh, cognitive behavioral coaching has been termed um, as a framework. And really, it's the same as the therapeutic one. Remember, therapy tends to look backwards and try to understand the source of feelings. Um, coaching is more around changing behaviors. So the framework within uh, cognitive behavioral coaching is called the ABC model. And the ABC model, very briefly, because it's a, it's a, it's a, pretty complex model, but briefly captures three primary elements. What is the A? The A is the activating event. So going back to our framework around situations for imposter thoughts, what is it that is currently making me feel these imposter thoughts? What's the activating event? The activating event for me this morning was having to deliver a cohesive set of answers to a very difficult topic with Matteo without losing face or credibility okay b the belief what's my belief my belief is that if i'm not as good as i hope he may lose trust in me and that may lead to either the cancellation of our series uh, or less viewers or less listeners or less momentum okay what's the consequence that's the c of that well i felt a little uncomfortable i felt a bit nervous this morning i had an extra cup of coffee and perhaps my first answer as a result uh, in this podcast wasn't as uh, clear-cut and cohesive as I would have liked it to be, okay? So I'm just giving you a very basic A, B, C. In the moment, as you prepare for situations or as you reflect on them afterwards, what was the activating event? What belief system did it lead to? And how did that impact the way I felt about it and my behavior? Okay, what did I do? And the answers come in D and E of the ABC model. Dispute and exchange. Once you've come up with a belief summary and a consequence overview, what does the evidence suggest? What's the evidence for the fact that people aren't going to uh, value what I say? Perhaps there isn't any. Perhaps there's some. There's some evidence that people will be supportive because they've been supportive around episode one and because I've coached a number of people, thankfully, successfully, and I have a number of ongoing mandates that I'm honored to have. So I'm already disputing the imposter thought or the belief I had around the activating event that was a negative. What other evidence do I have that this will go badly? Well, I've heard some podcasts that uh, I don't deem to be particularly impressive and they're very successful. 
So why should I immediately assume that whatever I say will undermine the success of this? So disputing the beliefs is literally going belief by belief and giving an alternative based on evidence. What's the evidence for that? What's the evidence for the opposite of that? And E, right, if in fact the opposite is true of what I believed initially from the activating event, how am I going to practice different behavior going forward when faced with the same situation? Interesting. As always, I'm amazed. There's so much to unpack. Um, we're getting towards the end of our of our chat, unfortunately. But in the interest of time, I will do my best to end the conversation on what could be a lighter note somehow. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of the chat that you felt somehow a bit of a of a, an imposter phenomenon. You weren't sure how this would go. Now that you have maybe a couple of seconds to reflect on our conversation, if you could talk to Costas 20 minutes ago, what would you tell him? That's such a tough question to answer in the moment. But let me tell you what I'm reflecting on as I hear that question. If I hadn't done this episode, uh, I wouldn't have felt uncomfortable in the way I have. I have grown from the fact that you've asked me some much more difficult questions on, frankly, an enormous topic that cannot be captured in 20 minutes as we're trying to do. And the experience of having got through it, hopefully, will help me be better at it next time. And that's the positive end, neuroplasticity. The brain can be rewired. Whatever age you have, whatever situation you're in, it is proven uh, in uh, neuroscience that if you do new things that you haven't done before, and the more you do them, neural connections can be reestablished or new connections can be created and existing ones can be reinforced. So I am hopeful that by going beyond my comfort zone and entering my growth zone, which is being a better podcast participant, uh, that next time, having built some neural connections that I didn't have 20 minutes ago, I will be a better uh, responder to your very difficult questions. Costas, I appreciate you and your time so much. Thank you for doing this. And I really look forward to our next episode together.